You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. All right, well, I'd like you to turn to Psalm chapter 30. Psalm 30. Um, this one was not in our, in our reading per se. has something to do with Thanksgiving in it, so... Um, I thought, boy, let's, let's go here for this week as we kind of wrap up these psalms to refresh us and wrap that up today as we look towards Thanksgiving. So Psalm uh, chapter 30, we're going to read the whole psalm here. At, while you're on your way there, I do have a, another picture, though. I got it in there. This is from Micah. And Micah, last week we were in Psalm 148, and we were talking about the waters. You know, there's waters below the heavens and the waters above the heavens. And what... What were those? And, and Micah's got down here, if you can see it. Waters in heaven, question mark. And then the answer on the other side of the page was, or maybe a rain cloud. That's where we kind of landed on, maybe thinking rain cloud there. But uh, Micah, thank you for turning that in. Appreciate that. And every drawing you kids draw. So, All right, let's hear from God's word this morning to us. Psalm 30. It's a psalm of David. Song at the Dedication of the Temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth, and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Let's pray again. Lord, we acknowledge this to be your word. And as we search through it and we seek to understand the various parts of it and what you have written through the psalmist and the inspired word of Scripture, work your word into our hearts. Set our gaze, Lord, not on anything of this world, but on you. And may the things and trials and griefs of this world just cause us by your gracious sovereign hand to look on you again and find in you our security and rest and peace forever and then erupt in praise. Lord, you are a God. Thank you for your grace on us. Help us to understand your word as we work through it today. Help your preacher to preach faithfully of you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. 
dark wells, dark wells, deep pits. Get an image there? Dark well, a deep pit. These things don't necessarily come to our mind when we think of praise and worship, do they? We, don't, we think of well-lit places, sunshine, light, singing like we did today. We think of, of praise and this, this light. But what if, here's the question to you, the what if question, what if the path to praise was the darkness of the well? What if the path to worship was to be put in the dust first? We worship today, if you hear nothing, we worship a God who graciously raises his own from the pit to the mountain of glad praise. And we're going to get a glimpse of that today in Psalm 30. God in his grace takes sinners from the pit to the mountain of praise. And he's graciously at work in those areas. As we get into the Psalm 30 and try to look at, at the parts of it, some of the context, some, is not altogether clear. You've got that, that first kind of, I think they call it the inscription above, a psalm of David, a song, at least in the ESV, says that the dedication of the temple. Others, maybe if you're reading an NASB, something else, it says uh, dedication of the house. So is this, where are we at? What dedication? House, temple, house of David. Is this his household or the temple? I'm going to lean towards temple, thinking this is the, it's the house where David kind of planned for. He didn't build it, but he planned that his son Solomon would build this temple. I lean that way. But regardless, whether it's any of those things, house, temple, we also have dedication language. It's, it's a dedication type of a psalm. But it doesn't seem like maybe a typical dedication, right? We dedicate this place, that sort of thing. There's, within this dedication, there's weeping, and there's weeping through the night, and there's, there's mourning, and there's pits, and there's sheol, and, and these sorts of things. There's crying out. And we might ask, how can this be a song of dedication, maybe to a, a place or something like that? How is this a song of dedication? And I think in this psalm, as we see throughout Scripture, there are themes of the gospel. There's themes of the gospel here. David's life, and I think his personal life is headed for Sheol. We'll explain that in a bit. But it's headed for Sheol in sin. It's in need of rescue. And this psalm, over and over again, I mean, if you just peruse it, says, Oh, Lord. He's going one way, and the cry is, Oh, Lord. And then it's you, and you have, and you have, and you. And all this is that the Lord would be exalted. Remember Jesus? He spoke to the money changers. Remember when he overturned the tables and that sort of thing? In, that, in the temple area, he said this. He said, my house, so here's house language, dedication of the house, what's he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Prayer for the nations. And here before us in Psalm 30, it's essentially a prayer, is it not? It's a prayer of, of David. There's to you. There is imperatives. Here's what you should do. But here's praying to the Lord. And perhaps even as, as the temple is dedicated, it's a prayer of thanksgiving 
before the Lord for His grace in the midst of our sin, our pits, our wells. So let's take it apart, see some of these sections, and uh, look at it here, and, and, and then once again be brought to thanksgiving for the grace of our Lord. Look at the first three verses. And just I'm going to point this out, but just pay attention for all of what God is doing in these verses. Verse 1, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cry to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Now, at this point in the psalm, we're not quite sure yet what's brought David so low. Why is he headed to Sheol or to the pit? And we're going to get to that in verse 6 and 7. We'll get there. But for now, we're, we're just given the initial reason for why David opens this psalm with, I will extol you, O Lord. And it's a great three-letter word. You have it there before you. I will extol you, O Lord, F-O-R, for the cause. Why exalting the Lord? Did you see it as I read through there? I think there's, there's five reasons David gives just for exalting. So we don't know what's the pit, where's he going. We'll get to that. But do you see him through here? Verse 1, you, number 1, you've drawn me up. Number 2, you've, you've not let my foes rejoice over me. In other words, the enemy was given no reason to claim a victory in David's trial. Number 3, you have healed me. Four, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. Five, you restored to me life. This is what a gracious God is doing. And David says, I'm going to exalt you. As to Sheol, as to this pit, okay, the the pit language, Psalm 88.6 speaks of the pit as a region dark and deep. So those who go down to the dark and deep region. Sheol... One writer, his name's Chad Brand, he describes it this way. Here's how he describes this Sheol. Maybe you've heard this, you've seen this as you've read in the Old Testament. It says of it, describes it as a, quote, a place that is set over against the work of Yahweh. Those who dwell there are separated from Yahweh spiritually and morally, though he makes this, he says, though not physically, since there can be real no escape from God, even in Sheol. But there's this separation there, spiritually, morally. Here's this quote. It is a place in which one is captive. It is a place of darkness and of silence. And then he summarizes kind of, and says this and taking it to the New Testament. Sheol in the Old Testament is roughly analogous to Hades in the New Testament. And he goes on to say, Hades here, again, is that realm set over against God and His righteous kingdom. Hades, Sheol, the dwelling place of the unrighteous and their king. Then he says, going on to Revelation 20, then we find at the end that death and Hades are cast into the lake of fire. The final destiny of those who dwell in Sheol, Hades, is eternal separation from God's righteousness and love. And then he says this, As they sought, those that are separated, Sheol, Hades, as they sought to be separate from him in life, 
so will they be in death and in eternity. Those that wanted to separate themselves from God here, unless God does a work in the heart, find they get what they wanted, eternal separation. And it's scary. And I think David sees it as fearful. I don't want that separation. And God in His grace will not leave David there. So David cries. The Lord heals and delivers and restores. David's going to exalt the Lord. And then in verses 4 through 5, he makes an invitation to others, to the godly ones, to the saints. Look at verse 4 and 5. Now it's a call. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. So verses 1 through 3, kind of this this personal, this is David, I'm going here to the pit, to Sheol, I'm going to exalt you because you, Lord, have drawn me. And now the corporate comes, the corporate call, O his saints... His holy ones praise and give thanks. And that's what David calls them, holy ones. That includes you and me in Christ. And we're called to praise the Lord and to give thanks to His holy name. There's a call here. Do this. And then verse 5, I think it lays the groundwork. Even as as we hear of God's holy name, or maybe it's speaking about remember God's holy attributes. And then look at how verse 5 just kind of lays that groundwork, this this anger and favor and then man's weeping and joy. And God's anger here. Is God's anger evil or unrighteous? No, it's a righteous anger. But David says, it's just for a moment. There's a holiness of God and he's angry over sin and he says, it's for a moment. His favor, a lifetime. And I, don't, I, I think here, even though we don't see the exact sin just, just yet, we see, again, God's holy anger over sin and rebellion. And yet this holy God also shows favor. He is both the just God and the justifying God of sinners. He's both. And there's saints then who weep through the night And there's a mourning for sin. Weeping may tarry for the night. I think it's a mourning for sin here. They've turned away from Yahweh. But again, this this weeping is only for a time. Joy comes in the morning. And it's some powerful... I mean, hopefully these are some familiar passages to you. You've heard this before. It's powerful poetry here to encourage the faint-hearted. Wait for the morning. Weeping, yes, wait for the morning. I wonder if you found, if you found yourself weeping over sin, perhaps convicted of the truth that the sin you're in deserves fully God's righteous anger. Lord, you are holy, and the sin that I am in is worthy of your anger. Encourage you, if you're in that, to wait for the morning. Set your eyes on the Lord. But also, there's those who never taste of that, never taste that, that I think the anger 
never weeping over sin. And I think without that, we fail to see the joy of what salvation is, of what God has done. So I think if there's a weeping, and again, well, how much is too what? How much crying is too much crying? Just it, are we are we in anguish, Lord? I've I've gone against you and your word, and in that, God does a work to show us Himself. There's a sense of, and we'll look at this verse where this comes from, a sense of grief, weeping, that leads to repentance, joy in the morning. Connected by God's grace. And now, as we look at verses 6 and 7, we get to the heart of the psalm. What was David's issue or sin? As, we, as We've kind of talked around it, and he's drawn up now. What, what was this thing that I think caused the weeping for the night and joy in the morning? What was this? Robert Godfrey says this, as, as we try to understand poetry. He says, One important form of Hebrew poetry is that a poem often has the critical verse or message in the middle of the poem rather than at the end. And we're used to that. We're used to maybe reading stuff, and at the end, that's where the, the punchline is. Here, it's more middle. And I think that's what we've got in the psalm. At least, a, at least what draws us. It's not the end conclusion, but it's the thing. What's at the heart of this psalm? In the center at the heart of this going down to Sheol and God's drawing up David. So look at verses 6 through 7 with that in mind where it says, David says, as for me, we're back to personal language now, as for me, it's really I myself, I said, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face I was dismayed. Prosperity for David. Success, security, rest, peace. It, it's, it seems like when he's saying, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. It, he's, it, does it seem like he's saying, I'm, I'm set. I mean, look around. I'm not going to be moved. I'm fine. Things are Everything's going well. Things are going good here. And Godfrey, again, he comments on this prosperity and he says, The crisis for David came not in a time of external opposition and difficulty, but in a time of success, prosperity. And then he goes on to say, At some high point in his reign, David came to think, so we're not sure, you know, where, what, He's just saying, some high point in his reign, David came to think of his state as secure and unchanging and as the result of his own work. And then he goes on to say, Psalm 30 reflects on a time when David had forgotten that all he had was from the Lord. He had come to believe that his prosperity, that is, his ease or quiet, the tranquility of his life and kingdom belonged to him by right and would never change. His security could not be moved. It could not totter and fall. And then he says this, the Lord did not allow David to continue in his pride. What about 2020 for us? 
And who knows what 2021 has to bring. This year has taught us again, if we needed reminders, that what we thought was once solid ground of normalcy, of peace or security, is just not, it's not there. In different weeks and different things, as we've talked about from this pulpit, and you hear in the news and you hear this, it's just there's an unsettledness to it. Just kind of a what's next. The prosperity is going away. The, the government, it's shaky. Right? The weather is shaky. Or our health is even shaky. And in it, we long for security. I think, I, is that what we mean by say, when it will get back to normal? Just that, don't give me new headlines. Just, we're normal, right? Even though that wasn't really the case. We've talked about that before. David here had forgotten like us who are prone to forget that there is, there is no prosperity, normalcy, security, rest, whatever, outside of the Lord's hand in His doing. And that's what I think the first part of verse 7 is kind of David reminding himself. In verse 6, life was good for David, or so he thought in his prosperity. I'm not going to be moved. But verse 7, David seems to realize here, oh yeah, no, Lord, yes, it was your good pleasure that made me to stand strong. In you alone, I won't be shaken. And I thought, in myself, I won't be. It's in you. And then David says this interesting phrase at the end of verse 7, you hid your face. I was dismayed. In David's prosperity, I'm not going to be moved. God hides his face And David is brought to dismay. And despair, I think. Charles Spurgeon writes this of God hiding his face. (laughs) Listen to how he puts this. He says, The next best thing to basking in the light of God's countenance, his face, the next best thing is to be thoroughly unhappy when that bliss is denied us. Do you hear what he's saying? The next best, best thing to God's face shining on us, the next best thing is to be thoroughly unhappy when his face isn't because of why. We sense something is wrong. I'm dismayed. The scary thing would be to say, I'm fine. He hit his face. Great. I can do anything I want now. The next best thing I think to Spurgeon is God hit his face and God brought David to dismay. And he's leading his child of God where? Back to where he needs to be. Deep wells and dark pits that make us cry out to the Lord are in fact God's gracious provisions to embrace him as our sole means of peace and rest and security and joy. Joe Dallas in our Sunday school, as I was looking ahead to the weeks ahead that we're going to be looking again in this class, uh, he's the second person this week to draw this to my attention from John chapter 15. Think about this in relation to David saying, you hid your face, I was dismayed, and God's gracious means to bring us to that pit, to bring us to him. John 15, 5, Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What a glorious place it is to be brought to the end of our own securities and our prosperity and our own peace where we've got nothing but to rely on the Lord. He is all we have to rely on. I cannot no longer rely on the things that I thought. A steady paycheck, can't rely there. My health, maybe, maybe not. Comfort of my routines, who knows what's next. The great unknown is just it's before us. But it can lead us to say, O oh Lord, by Your favor, You have made my mountain to stand strong. And Lord, You must help and heal and draw me up, for in You alone is the security I long for, no, no matter how insecure my life looks around me. So then, as we come out of that, so that's kind of the, I think the background to the pit and the Sheol, this prosperity and this dis, dismay here of David, God's hidden face. And then verses 8 through 12, in a, in a way, echo 1 through 5. There's crying, there's pleading for deliverance from the pit. And then we're going to see what's behind that crying and pleading. First, 8 through 10. To you, O Lord, I cry. Here's the one in dismay crying. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. Deliverance and rescue lead to worship. That's where they're leading. That's David's plea. His plea for grace and help. It's not a plea, Lord, just restore my fortunes and my prosperity and, and what I lost those sorts of things. Maybe in our land we want, Lord, just give us back security. Help us know this. We want this. Those sorts of things. I don't think they're wrong to pray for. Lord, would you, would you grant clarity in the election? Or all these different, would you protect us in our health? And all these different things. But for David, there's a higher goal than just normal prosperity. Do you see it? It's at verse 9. His goal, what's this goal? Lord, bring me back because verse 9, he asks, will the dust praise you? David's deliverance, and this is going to be sound repeated theme in the Psalms, right? His deliverance leads to worship. Deliverance leads to praise and thanksgiving. So why? Why does God save us? Why are we delivered from the pit? I would propose we're primarily not saved so we can bask in thoughts of, wow, Lord, what did you see in me to save me? What a, what a vessel I am. You found something here. It's not that. It's not even all the gifts of salvation as good as all those gifts. Who's the gospel? God is, right? Our focus is worship. And that's, I think, what Psalm 30 just points to from the bottom of Sheol to the mountain of praise. Not saved so we can say, I'm, nor I'm prospering again. I'm back to where I was. It's for the praise of the Lord. And this praise is a dancing 
praise and a praise of gladness. Look at verses 11 through 12 then. You have, who's the you? Oh Lord, right? You have turned for me my morning, morning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Just as we saw God, verses 1 through 3, God drew David up, healed him, restored him. So now he turns. David sees, you've turned. You have, right? You have turned my morning to dancing. You loosed my sackcloth. You clothed me with gladness. That's the Lord doing this. And David calls him, O Lord, my God. Weeping may tarry through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And I would propose joy comes through the M-O-U-R morning. God's gracious work in our weeping and godly grief that leads us back to Himself. Romans tells us where sin increased to the pit, God's grace increased all the more. And that grace leads to the purpose of God's turning us from sin to Himself, His praise. Not being silent or quiet about it, but giving thanks to God. Back when we studied Psalm 107, I quoted this from, from Spurgeon, and I'll, I'll just add it in here again. He says, None are so ready to return a revenue of praise to God for great mercies as those who have known the lack of them. Hungry souls make sweet music when the Lord fills them with His gracious gifts. Today, are you in a pit? Is that where you find yourself today? The pit, the deep well, the darkness, the weeping. Knowing God's face has seemed to turn away. And you know, you know, I'm, that's, I know why I'm there. And I'm weeping about it. Praise God for that grief, that weeping in us that leads us to weep through the night, as it were, that we may have the joy of confession and godly grief leading us to repentance, leading us to praise. If you're there, praise God, there's weeping going on. And not, not staying in that, but rejoicing. That, that word, the sackcloth there, the idea of that repentance turning in that. Today, maybe, I'll ask, are you prosperous? Are you just at rest today? Know this, that's not because of you. It's because of God. God who gives you that rest and peace and a God who will sustain us no matter what circumstance and no matter the news, no matter. We have a great God. And lastly today, perhaps you're just indifferent, feeling nothing. There's a pastor up there He's preaching the word. I'm not sensing anything. I'm smelling good food. The sooner this is over, the better. I'm not picking on anybody per se. If that's you, 
Would you just cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, move me. Would you, Lord, move in me whatever it takes to find a lasting joy? For it is not in whatever prosperity you're feeling right now. It's in the Lord. I want to close today with an an encouragement for those in pits, despair, really for wherever you're at. And and again, it's from Charles Spurgeon. He makes these, uh, or he wrote these, these morning and evening devotionals. Perhaps you've read them or seen them different places. You've got devotionals for the morning, devotions for the evening. I found the evening one this week, happened to be reading it, and just could not leave it out to, to share it. And I think it ties in. Now, he's going to talk about conies in here. He doesn't mean coney dogs, conies. He means rock badgers, badgers on Wisconsin, right? No, no. Badgers, animals, okay? He's going to talk about, their, he calls them conies. So just that's the language he's using. And he's talking about them using Proverbs thirty twenty six. It talks about these, these conies, these badgers who hide themselves in the rocks. They hide themselves away. He says this, When Satan and my sins pursued me, I fled to the cleft of the rock Christ Jesus. And in his riven side, I found a delightful resting place. My heart run to him anew tonight. Whatever thy present grief may be, Jesus feels for thee. Jesus consoles thee. Jesus will help thee. No monarch, no king, right? No monarch in his impregnable fortress is more secure than the coney in his rocky burrow. The master of 10,000 chariots is not one whit better protected than the little dweller in the mountain's cleft. In Jesus, the weak are strong and the defenseless safe. They could not be more strong if they were giants or more safe if they were in heaven. Faith gives to men on earth the protection of the God of heaven. More they cannot need and need not wish. The conies, the badgers, they cannot build a castle, but they avail themselves of what is there already. I cannot make myself a refuge, but Jesus has provided it. His Father has given it. His Spirit has revealed it. And lo again tonight, I enter it and am safe from every foe. Let's pray. O Lord, may we praise Your name for Your goodness and grace on sinners like us. You would have been and you are completely justified in your holy and righteous anger to be separate from sinners forever and for eternity. Your grace is not something we deserve. It is undeserved. Your mercy is not something we earn. And we thank You, Lord, that You've been merciful to us. And Lord, when we face times of grief where our prosperity is shaken and rocked in our health or our routines or our money or wherever, when we are shaken, may we see that as Your gracious hand bringing us to a godly grief that leads us back to say, Lord, 
Forgive us for trusting in those things once again that we have taken our eyes off of the rock who is Christ Jesus. Lead us to you, Lord. And where we're indifferent, where we don't care, Lord, work in us there as well and bring about these things that we may dance with removed sackcloth of repentance, clothed with garments of gladness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Through his blood, resurrection, we are raised to new life. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.